Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former Presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must-listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. I was trying to, like, fend people off, but I thought I was saying in Arabic, calm down. But what I was actually saying in Arabic was inshallah, which is God God willing. willing. People, like, throwing punches and kicking and throwing stuff at us. And I'm like, God willing, God willing. (laughs) Somebody got to cue me or do I cue myself? Cue yourself. Okay. Hey, everybody, guess what? We're back with another episode of Let's Talk Off Camera. So let's get talking. Guys. We're going to be joined by the one and only Anderson Cooper. Before I bring him in, okay, I want you to understand that this is going to be very difficult to interview someone that I really feel like I know, I love, I have a friendship with. I'm not even wearing a bra for this interview, okay? (laughs) That's how comfortable I am. But um, you too. Yes. That would be my long-suffering producers, Jan Chalet and Albert Bianchini. For those of you at home that don't know listeners, (laughs) Albert is a proud card-carrying member of the gay persuasion (laughs) who you may or may not know was pre-engaged to a woman named Stacy. Albert, I've known you for 23 years as only gay, but you are not a pure blood. Well, yes. Pure blood since you've known me. Pure blood since I've known you, but a pure blood means yes. you've never had sex with a woman, no. only you have had sex with many women. Many. Right. I have not had sex with a woman since I've met you, but prior to that, many women. Was it me so that finally turn- turned you off women? Was that, was that the thing that did it? Was it was not you, no. It was not me. No. Okay, good. No. All right, that's good. Jan, yes. um, did you quit women after you met me? <laughs> did you quit women? <laughs> I went straight to men. You went straight no. to men. So you're a pure blood. No, Jan. but I am fascinated by the fact that you were with women and men, and but you always knew you wanted to be with men. But I also think you can be attracted to both. But you weren't. I was. Oh, you really were? Yeah. Or were you just trying to no, push I mean, down I, other I mean, feelings? there's only you can't. How do you perform oh, if you're please. not? <laughs> <laughs> That's the voice of our uh, our first guest. <laughs> But before we bring him in, I just want to read from his Wikipedia page. I love it. Okay, because, you know, I I could go on and on. The man is a a broadcast journalist, of course. He is a CNN superstar, an icon, if you will. He is an author of three New York Times bestselling books. He is a fellow podcaster of the absolutely brilliant All There Is, which I like to refer to as the opposite of this podcast. (laughs) We could have called this podcast whatever it is. Whatever it is. He is um, a father and one of my best friends. And I I like to say that even though I am probably the sister he never wanted, he is the brother I always wished I had. So let's uh, bring him into the conversation without further ado, the silver fox himself, Anderson Cooper. Hey, how's it going? I didn't know my mic was on. I'm sorry. No, I just, I was, I'm glad I, because I, that needed a sound effect. Because Anderson, <laughs> I want you to, before we get into your accomplishments. I want to hear more about Stacy. <laughs> the mythical Stacy. Tell us about Stacy. What was it about her? Um, Stacy was amazing. She grew up 
like 10 blocks away from me. She was Jewish. Her family was literally the inverse of my Italian family. Mm -hmm. And we just really clicked and got along. Anderson, and what do you think? Can you be attracted to both? Oh, I mean, you I, for Anderson. me, I, I, tr I think many, many people who are gay go through a period where, you know, when they're younger, because of what they know they will face, they, yeah. you know, as a kid, I wished I wasn't gay. Um, and, you know, I thought about, oh, I, I could like I could like a woman, I could like a girl and, you know, tried a little bit in high school and stuff. But, um, yeah, my heart wasn't in it. Did you and ever I, did I you ever diddle it. around with the opposite sex? <laughs> I, I don't know what diddling you know, means. Diddling I, doesn't sound very nice. I know that you haven't had sex with women. I have not. Uh, but but you know, I kiss I kissed some girls in high school, maybe one or two in college. Mm -hmm. And um, was it revolting or was it just like no, it was fine? No, I mean they were they were great. You know, it was like I guess for somebody who's not gay it would be like kissing a member of the same sex. It feels nice to kiss somebody but uh it doesn't it's not going to lead anywhere it's not going to go anywhere we can be good friends so anderson let's get back to you for a second i introduced you as the silver fox which in my contacts you're not under your name you're under silver fox which makes <laughs> everyone laugh all the time um how did you get that moniker and do you like that moniker i don't know how i got that I, I think like somewhere it was just written down somewhere and other people started writing it down. I, I liked when I had salt and pepper hair. Yeah. Like I started going gray my senior year of college. Um, I was on the crew team and I was starving myself to get down to race weight of 125 pounds. Oh. So I would drop 20 pounds for races uh, and my hair by senior year started to go gray, which I think has something to do with my poor diet and starving myself well, for four years. But I also, like when I see pictures of your half-brother, he has the shockingly white hair. Definitely genetic. Yeah. Both my parents, both my mom and dad started going gray early. But but so I liked, I liked you know, salt and pepper I didn't mind. And in my mind, I still have that. But they're like, I try to avoid looking in mirrors now because I look in a mirror, I'm like, I'm like Casper the Friendly Ghost. I'm just completely white. I'm like, if I took off my glasses, you couldn't see me at all. I've told you, I've told you because I study you a lot. <laughs> Even when you're sleeping, when you don't know I'm there, I'm there. Um, and there are patches of salt and pepper still. There are some patches. The, I would like to but, expand but them. But you like keep to... your hair too short, which I told you. I know. The shorter know. your hair is, the less yeah. that darkness shones through. Yeah. That is true. That is true. Yeah. Well, it's funny because toward the end of her life, I, my mom, in the last like two years of her life, she, uh, you know, she used to watch me all on TV and I started getting these emails from her every now and then. She'd send me an email like, honey, um, I, I saw a commercial for a hair thinning product. <laughs> And I would be like, okay, uh, is that something you're going to get? Like, do you feel like your hair is thinning? She's like, no, I don't. No, no, not for, no, I don't for me. No. <laughs> and then a few weeks would go by and then she would actually send me something she saw on Instagram of some hair thinning product. And I found out, I realized, wait a minute, mom, do you think my hair is thinning? And she was like, well, I mean, maybe in some lights. And uh, what I realized is like with my hair really short, you can just see my pink rat-like scalp because uh, it comes through. It's not the hair itself is thinning. It's just that you can see my little pink scalp. What's fascinating to me is your version of yourself. Whenever you describe yourself, you're either a rat or a newt or a mouse yes. or the stomach yeah, of a pig right. or you come up with <laughs> – and the rest of us see you – as like I look at you like a cross between Edward R. Murrow and a GQ model. Like you're yeah, handsome well, and sexy, but super yeah. smart and really empathic and really. Um, I mean, first of all, that's not how I am. I think I see myself quite honestly. But but I mean, who sees themselves in a real way? I mean, you know, we all have these incredibly warped perceptions of ourselves. That's true. And yeah, um, that's true. And constantly being on television does not help. Yeah. Because we're constantly seeing ourselves, you know, on a monitor in high definition, which no one should see. One of my favorite uh, moments that I have with you in our many, I mean, we've known each other for what, over 20 years. I was pregnant with Lola when I first met you. Yeah, so. it's got to be, yeah, it's definitely yeah. over 20, yeah, it's about 20 yeah. years. So Because I think, I think the first time we met was I came on the show to promote The Mole, I think. Yeah, you were on The Mole, and our show, like, famously, the hosts have nothing to do with bookings. 
But I had been asking, I'm like, there's this guy, he's so smart. And I was like, I've seen him on the news, but now he's the host of The Mole. He's so adorable. He's cute and he's super smart and he's kind of dry. He'd be great for our show. And Gelman was like, oh, that's Anderson Cooper. We have the same agent. And I was like, first of all, time out. Why do you have an agent, (laughs) Gelman? But anyway, so it was like one of those rare occasions that like something I requested actually came true. Manifested. Oh, yeah, okay. it manifested. Well, I appreciate it. And, um, and then... It changed the course of my life? Oh, I don't think that's true. I think that the course of your life changed just because you're so brilliant. Oh. Um, I want to talk a little bit about you becoming a father because it's one of the greatest pleasures I've gotten to witness in my life. You're so good with them. Kelly came over just, just a week or so ago and... Uh, built a fort with Wyatt underneath <laughs> my desk and it was amazing. Now he understands why I always looked so miserable about 20 <laughs> years ago. Um, but you had kids, you had both of your kids during COVID. And I've got to tell you, the one thing that Mark and I took solace in was that we had our kids and they grew up and had a full sort of life before COVID sort of locked them down mm. as young adults and later teens. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I really admired your resilience, Benjamin's resilience, how you all sort of worked your way around having these two beautiful boys in the midst of like a lot of chaos. I mean, Wyatt was like four months old before I met him because I was yeah. so terrified of meeting a baby because we didn't know yeah. anything. Yeah, especially with Wyatt. Yeah. He was born uh, April 27th, 2020. So it was definitely in the thick of it. But, you know, because we were home so much more, it was sort of magical to be able to have that time in the house. It was just a time where that we were together with him. And it was uh, it was amazing in that way. I, w- I would still, I would bike into the office. I would still go into the office at night to do the show. But I look back on that time and kind of, I wish time would slow down because he's getting older quickly and and it's terrifying well as long as I've had my kids you've been in their lives with the exception of Michael Michael was like four or five years old when he first met you but I remember thinking that you would be a great father Mm. it was like one of my earliest thoughts was that Yeah, you always said that you always said that to me and just watching you um give them your undivided attention, which is so hard to do when everybody's talking to you, wanting your time, wanting your attention, wanting to have a discussion about politics or whatever hurricane was coming down the pike, you're their ear. But if my kids brought a toy in to play with, you would get down and give them your Mm. undivided attention and really play with them, immerse yourself. And I wonder, like, do you remember doing that with your own father? Was your father taken away from you too soon to remember those times? No, I remember that. I mean, I remember my dad was a very intentional parent. Just like me, my dad was, uh, he died at 50, so he was 40 when he had me. My mom was 42, um, Mm -hmm. or maybe even 43, which at that time was, you know, quite old for a a woman to, to have a child. But my dad was very much wanted kids, very much wanted to have boys, and really was an amazing, amazing dad. And that, those are my, the only memories I, you know, I have memories of him, some of which I've read from a book he wrote, but a lot of them are things I remember, you know, every night, sometimes there was a phase where I would, after dinner, say, let's go out for pizza. And not that I really even wanted pizza that much. It was more, I just wanted some time with him one-on-one. And so I remember all these things of, of him and me, or him and my brother and I. And I think that's one of the benefits of having waited. I think it's one of the benefits of having kids at the age I did is this is my priority. I'm not in the phase of my career where I'm constantly on the road and I can I have more control over my day-to-day decisions. I'm not being called to, to go someplace and have no control over it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think about it a lot because if you had, say, had those little boys and had to go to Egypt during the Arab Spring or any of the dangerous places you had gone, I would have been at the airport clinging to your legs saying, <laughs> please don't go, you have children. You know, And I know 
Women and men do it all the time. I do yeah, realize that. Well, that, yeah, I mean, that, and you think about men and women who serve overseas in the military who are gone for a year. It's, it's incredible, the sacrifice. I mean, the sacrifice, not only the person who's gone, but also the loved one who's staying behind, caring for the kids and for the children. I mean, it's, I always knew intellectually that's a really hard thing to do. But now having kids myself, like right now, Benjamin, their other dad, is in Paris with both the kids because it's Benjamin's 50th birthday. And I'm like alone this week without them. And I am really depressed. Yeah. And I was just texting with Benjamin. And I was like, can you guys come home sooner? Because like, I really do not know what to do with myself. So I'm hoping this podcast will last for several hours. Because yes. I got nothing else to do. Good. Excellent. Perfect. <laughs> it's funny because you were talking about military service members and... Did you ever want to go into the service? I know what I'm buying my mom, friends, for Mother's Day. Fiori joggers. Jana's obsessed. My stylist, Audrey, is obsessed. So I know they're a sure hit. And if any one of my family or friends are listening to this podcast, hint, hint, these would be a great gift for me. They're designed with their dream knit stretch fabric, which I love because they're so ridiculously comfortable, but yet look so good. By the way, they're not just for women. I'm ordering them right now for Mark because Father's Day is right around the corner. No matter how you stay active, running, swimming, yoga, or just running weekend errands, Viore is for you. Viore is offering Let's Talk Off Camera with Kelly Ripper listeners 20% off your first purchase. Get some of the most comfy and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash off camera. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash off camera. You'll also enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash off camera and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Melojo, my production company, is such a small business. So when we hire someone, it makes a huge impact. And Albert, I know you wear so many hats over there, you might not have the time or the resources to hire, but LinkedIn changes all of that. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. So Albert, the next time we're hiring, if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. We got Roz, so we know it works. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash off camera. That's linkedin.com slash off camera to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once in a lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former Presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Did you ever want to go into the service? Um, I did, yes. Uh, I mean, at the time, you you weren't allowed to because you gay people weren't allowed to join the military. But uh, yeah, did you think I, about finding some other aspect to serve? Where since gay people could not go into the military, did you think of some other way, like special operations or? I did. I mean, I interned uh, I interned at the CIA uh, two summers when I was in college. Um, you also couldn't be gay for that. Uh, so all the stuff I was interested in doing, I wasn't allowed to do because you couldn't be gay. But a lot of the things that sort of appealed to me about, you know, the intelligence work and of of the military 
you know, I was interested in travel. I was interested in seeing the world. I was interested in learning about other cultures. I was very patriotic and I, I was interested in current events and I was interested in conflict zones. I was very interested in issues like survival and how people survive and what happens to societies that fall apart. And I realized a lot of the things that I was interested in, I could do as a reporter and it would sort of meet a lot of the same criteria. I could travel, I could go to war zones, I could shine a light on the suffering of others, I could try to help people in their suffering by documenting it, by informing people about it. And you could still be gay. And you, Yes, and you could still be gay. Yes, right. And, uh, you know, I was traveling in a lot of countries where they would you know, right. be very hostile to you if you were gay, um, but that didn't stop me from doing it. But, uh, but you faked your press credentials, is that right? You know, fake is a strong word, but yes, a friend made a fake press pass for me. I was working at a thing called Channel One, which was a show seen about half the high schools and middle schools in the United States in the early 1990s. Mm -hmm. And it was a 12-minute news program with two minutes of commercials that was provided to any school in America that wanted it for free in every classroom. And it was about, yeah, it was about 8 million middle schools and high schoolers uh, watching every day. And I was a fact checker there for six months. And then I was like, okay, I, I would rather be a reporter. I want to I want to be in the there. field. Yeah, I want to be in the field. And if I had just gone to my bosses at Channel One and said, I'd like to be on air, there would have been like, you're the fact checker. No, that's not going to happen. You know, when you're in an organization, I mean, for anybody out there, when you're in an organization, they tend to see you in one way. And very often you have to leave that organization to make them see you in a different way. And so I realized if I told them I wanted to be on air, I couldn't. So I just didn't say anything. I just left. I told them I was going to start to go to wars. They let me borrow a camera. The director of the show made on a Macintosh like a press pass with my photograph and the channel one on it and laminated it. And uh, yeah, I snuck into Myanmar and I hooked up some students fighting the government. I shot a story about them and then did some stuff in Vietnam during the embargo and then ended up going to Somalia in the early days of a famine. You know, for anybody out there that's listening to this, if you haven't read Anderson's book, Dispatches from the Edge, it is a must, must, must read because the way you weave together um, your life, your personal life and your work life is just sort of a tapestry of brilliance. And you tell all of these stories, which I find harrowing and gripping and sometimes I'm laughing and sometimes I'm really like I have visceral reactions when you talk about uh, uh, Somalia, when you talk about the Rwandan genocide. Is there one place where you ever felt that you were in the most danger, like far and above everywhere else? Um, you know, so for the first like two or three years, I was uh, initially I was by myself. So for the first year of doing stuff in early days in Somalia, I was by myself you know, and that was really scary. I, I had no security. I, I had no place to stay. I had no place to sleep. I, you know, ended up sleeping on the floor of the Red Cross compound because they let me. And it wasn't until several years down the road, like when I started working for CNN, even several years into that, that they would have security for me and stuff in some places. But, you know, I was in a lot of places where I knew people who were doing the same thing I was doing who ended up getting killed. And it was just by sheer luck that that didn't happen to me. There's a young man named Dan Eldon who was a young, really smart, amazing photographer who was my age, or maybe a little bit older, doing the same thing, just starting out in Somalia, and he ended up uh, getting attacked by a mob and chased through the streets and, and killed along with uh, two other other journalists. Yeah. I remember uh, when you were in Egypt and... That was, that was probably, the for me, the closest I've come to problems. I, I remember us... All of us, like, not sleeping at night, thinking about you, worrying <laughs> about you. And I remember that you, in all of your text messages or brief phone calls, you kept everything so light for everybody else. You told yeah. your mom that you were staying at a hotel with a nice courtyard pool. I remember you yeah. told her that. <laughs> That's true. I told her that the morning everything went south. This was before President Mubarak in Egypt stepped down and there were hundreds of thousands of people in the streets. And it was a day that there would, it would start to be clashes between the pro-Mubarak forces and the anti-Mubarak forces in the streets right outside the area we were at Tahrir Square. Yeah, and I called my mom that, that morning and, you know, I always liked to touch base with her when I was overseas. And, 
it wasn't a problem when I was on channel one because it was only seen in schools and she never, she couldn't see what I was doing. So I could just easily lie. But on CNN, she could actually just turn on the TV and see where I was. So I called her and I was like, oh yeah, I'm in Egypt, but it's not as bad as you see on TV, which was not true at all. It was way worse. And <laughs> I was like, you know, I'm just going to stay by the pool today. I don't even know if there was a pool at the hotel, but I certainly wasn't going to hang out at the pool. Um, I mean, she must have known I was lying, but she she was cool about everything. But but that that was the day I actually did get a, attacked, attacked with my yeah. cameraman and producer, and it it could have gone bad in a million different ways. It was not a good scene, and we ended up having to try to evacuate to another hotel and be in hiding for several days, and then have an extraction team come and and extract me and I mean it was it was bad but I so I had to call her up afterward and I'd be like right before because by the time I got back I'd gotten attacked by a mob I'd videotaped it because I figured I'm gonna get killed I at least want to videotape it so somebody can make a story about it had a boy and so I had a so I had a camera and I had a camera in who's getting attacked at the same time who's rolling and I had a small camera in my hand as well I was videotaping so we quickly edited together the piece and right before it aired, I called my mom because I didn't want her to see it on CNN the first thing. So I was like, Mom, hey, you know, I just want you to know, like, things were a little bad. It'll be on CNN in, in a little bit. And I just want you to know I'm fine. And you know. I remember calling her uh-huh. and she said, oh, Anderson's having a wonderful time. He switched hotels and he's staying at a place with a pool. <laughs> I did switch hotels and it may have had a pool. That's true. Uh, but yeah, I switched hotels because literally the the concern was that pro-Mubarak forces, there were rumors they were coming into the hotel and going to take out Westerners. And um, so we slowly tried to evacuate as many personnel as we could. Do you think about that in your mind in that moment, you know, where you're like, okay, I'm about to be killed. I better roll my camera. (laughs) Because I do think if you're going to get killed, you might as well videotape it because at least there'll be like a great video played at your funeral of like, you know what, like the last shot of you waving goodbye. I don't know how your mind works. (laughs) Well, I because I'm a storyteller. I want to tell the stories. So what what was interesting about it is I'd never been in a like a fight fight before. Like I've never been in like a fist fight. Oh, really? Um, I mean, I... Well, I mean, at that point I hadn't. I've actually subsequently been in some altercations, but um, but I'd never like been punched in the head or kicked in the head or something by a group, you know, a group of people. And so to suddenly have that happen, it's quite, it definitely like gets your attention. Your adrenaline kicks in. Your adrenaline kicks in. And so I wasn't even thinking, like I wasn't thinking straight. I was thinking like, we can still make it. We were trying to get through the mob of pro-Mubarak supporters to get to the the people who were in Trier Square, who were about to be besieged for several days. It was just in the early hours before it all just exploded. And as we were close to getting through this mob of pro-Mubarak supporters who had been revved up to be very anti-Western media by the vice president at that point of Egypt, uh, we were within sight of Trier Square when somebody just... We'd made it through like three blocks of pro-Mubarak supporters just by like not making eye contact, just like walking. And then all of a sudden in a mob, if one person does something, it can like change the the vibe. And one person came out of the crowd and like lunged or like punched or something. I, I can't exactly even remember what it was. And just it just like, like that. The mo- like a school of fish, like the mob turned. You know, like people's attention just turned. And all of a sudden, that was it. And I was like, "Oh, we can still, we can still get, get there." <laughs> and thankfully, we had one guy with us. There were two security people that CNN had for like forty something people. Oh there. my god! And we had one of them, luckily. And anyway, thank God we had him because he was at least rational. And he was like, "Mate, we can't make it. We can't make it there. <laughs> right. We need to like circle up and Pivot. get back, and and so we started moving back, and like he was like, "Don't run, keep walking, and you know, keep the circle tight." But I was trying to like fend people off, and also videotaping, and also then I thought I was saying in Arabic, "Calm down," but what I was actually saying in Arabic was "Inshallah," which is God, God willing. willing. <laughs> so I'm like this. I don't know what they were thinking. I'm like being, you know, people like throwing punches and kicking and throwing stuff at us. And I'm like, God willing, God willing. So maybe it kept yeah. you alive. No, I don't know what it is. I, I remember when when you got when you got back, mm-hmm. we met you and Benjamin out for cheeseburgers downtown. Do you remember this? You were very very skinny. You dropped a lot of uh-huh. weight, and you just wanted 
a cheeseburger. Uh-huh. And we walked in. You guys had a table in the back, and we were with Michael and Joaquin. Mm-hmm. And we walked in, and there was this old man at the bar eating a cheeseburger. And Michael uh-huh. goes, oh, my God, he looks terrible. And I was like, that's not him. That's like an 87-year-old man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you're young, you think it, you're invincible. Or you think when somebody gets killed, you think like the world stops. And then the more you see things, the more places you go to and the more people you see die around you, you realize like the world keeps spinning. And... It happens in a split second and a person's there one second and a shot rings out and they're, you know, crumpled down or they're screaming on the floor and it all just, it's so easy to die. And once you have that realization, it changes the way you see, like your dynamic, it changes the way you operate. I mean, I've been in a lot of really bad situations, but that was the one where I saw like no matter how much organization you have behind you or how much knowledge you think you have, you can get killed in the blink of an eye and the world will keep spinning. And it made me much more cautious after that. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm actually personally glad. But it's like, it does show you, like if if it's your time and you're meant to go tits up, you're going tits up. And there's very little (laughs) that you can do. Like luck has a lot to do with it. But also I think Uh that you have tremendous survival skills. I don't want to use the word wily because wily. I'm like scrappy do. You're scrappy do, but you really do, you know how to like you know how to survive. Like a cockroach. Not well, like, a, like a cockroach, not like a cockroach, really. but like a person who understands I may be safe here. That's not safe. These people need their stories told. They are voiceless. I should go here. I should mm. go there. No, I've been lucky. I've been lucky. But I also think that the people that you have represented in your storytelling ha- have also been lucky. And I yeah, I take it very seriously. And I not I don't take myself seriously, but I take the pain of that person and the pain of their family very seriously and the, their experience. And and it's a privilege to be able to be in a position where you can turn those cameras on and bear witness to something and tell somebody's story and have it have an impact. And um, that's a, it's the greatest honor in my life. And how do you then decompress when you come home? Do you turn on the Real Housewives? <laughs> do you read like Us Weekly? I just have Andy. I have Andy give me the synopsis. Oh, and you know? and so right now you're not following any any of the shows um, on your own. I'm not. So I was an early like Atlanta Housewives fan. You told me and, about and, Atlanta Housewives. Uh, yeah, early Nene Leakes fan, mm-hmm. and and even that was even before I really knew Andy very well. I mean, we weren't even particularly close at that point, but. Um, it became so stressful for me because I would get so wrapped up in the drama of it all. Mm-hmm. And I, after a while, I just decided to take a break. But like every time I talk with Andy, I was talking to him on the phone the other day and he was giving me the update on like some drama that's going on. And I was like, I need to maybe get back into this because I feel like I'm calm enough now that I need a little more excitement in my life. <laughs> so let's pivot a little bit and talk about Madonna. Okay. What was the year that we went to see her in Paris? That was so fun. Wasn't that fun? We were like in the mosh pit. I don't know if they called it the mosh pit. but They called we it the Golden Triangle. Really? That's what they called it, the Golden Triangle. <laughs> okay. So we were in the Golden Triangle with a bunch of like Madonna super fans. It wasn't fancy people. It was just really hardcore people who loved Madonna. So there's, like us. So there are super <laughs> fans that Guy O'Siri goes and plucks them. Do you remember the time that you were plucked out of the stage oh, in Brooklyn? God. Oh, that that I I choose to forget. How can was, you choose? I'm mortified. I mean, I love the whole idea of it. I love the experience of it. I don't love the video that exists of it, the reality. I shot it. that video because I had seen that particular show like two yeah. or three times at that point. And I was yeah. like, she's going to pull you on stage and bend you over and spank you. And then. Right. All of which I sort of heard, but I didn't really hear. And then they were pulling me away to like get on the thing. And I was just like, okay. And I mean, I didn't know what the hell was going on. I was terrible. I danced terribly. It was mortifying. And it also, I got to say, it makes you realize suddenly, you know, we all watch people perform in these stages and like they make it look like it's just so natural and normal. Even the way they're like dance, running, walking down the stage. Yeah. 
I'm like, I don't, what do I skip? And then all of a sudden you find yourself like you're standing on this thing and then she hands you a banana. Yeah. And then like, oh, and right before that, she'd like pushed me over and humped me, which yes. I didn't expect at all. So I just start to, I open up and I start to peel it and eat the banana. And then all of a sudden I start lowering down on this little electronic like elevator disappearing on the stage just like eating this banana. It, I don't know. To this day, I don't know what So happened. the best part of that whole thing is that you had handed me your cell phone and you either handed me a wallet or you had like your ID and I tucked it into my underpants because I only <laughs> had two hands, one for my camera and one for your camera and I put your wallet in my by the way, I don't know why we thought like I needed to record it on my camera because there were literally 18,000 people in the Barclay Center, many of whom were recording it and putting it online. But the best- and by the way, anyone listening to this, please do not go and look at it. <laughs> Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Anyone listening to this, please do not go and look at it online because it's just mortifying truly mortifying. the best part of the whole thing was that we uh, got plucked in that moment by madonna's people and they were like you're with anderson and we were like yes and they said come with us and we were taken into this like sub basement where there was a really? car yes you don't remember this because you were not in your body but you were standing <laughs> there leaning against a black wall eating the banana and you go, did you see me? That <laughs> <laughs> was the first thing you said. Did you see me? I said, oh, honey, all of New York saw you. That's funny. It was, I, I know because you were clearly not in your body, oh, but you were still oh eating your banana, which was so oh great. Oh, my God. The whole thing was crazy. Just before we go, can you tell Jan and Albert the story about when you were dropped off at college for the first time? <laughs> it's very relatable. I'm not sure everybody's had this experience. Uh, as many of my stories from my life are very relatable. I, I know. And I know that. Um, but I tell them anyway. So, yeah. So, I was going to college and I was unaware. My mom was unaware that, like, parents take their kids to college. Often. <laughs> Oftentimes... From what I understand yes. and what I have subsequently learned, a parent or two parents will go and bring the kid to college. Never occurred to my mom. Like, it wasn't even, it wasn't even like, should I come? It was just like... See you later, you darling. Know, see ya. Yeah, exactly. And um, so my mom had a, uh, a car and a driver of a lovely man named Paul Nip, And <laughs> she was like, Paul will drive you up to school. And I was like, okay, cool. So Paul drove me up to, uh, to college and he parked the car and he took one bag and I took one bag and he helped drop off the bags. And I met for the first time my other roommates who were there. And I said, hey, you know, uh, this is Paul. And uh, they met him. And um, anyway, I later that night, uh, we were sitting around talking and they all thought he was my dad. <laughs> yeah. And, and I didn't... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what to really say. So I didn't say anything really about it right. as far as far as I can remember. So I I just sort of let it go for quite a while, actually. And then I think it was finally once I knew them, I was like, by the way, uh, my dad's actually dead. He died when I was 10. That was my mom's driver, Paul. Um, was that the story you were That's talking about? That's my favorite story. It makes <laughs> me uh, laugh okay. every, right. every time you tell right. it because I am like, you know – very relatable. Even when I took Michael to NYU, there were kids sobbing, clinging to their parents. Oh, I know. And there were like orientation meetings oh, yeah. and meetings, things for parents yeah. going on. I was like, I had no idea. I like, I thought we were just going to get going. I thought there was like a class and like we, we were just going to start. I didn't know there was a whole like ramping up to it. Did you hug Paul goodbye? <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I didn't hug Paul goodbye. I I, I shook his hand. You shook his hand. And, you know. Not like a double yeah. kiss on the cheek. No, there's not nothing of that. like that. There's no emo- emotional. Goodbye What's going to happen to us? And I'm including myself in this. What mm-hmm. is going to happen to us emotionally when Wyatt and Sebastian go to Yale and Harvard, respectively? <laughs> Assuming. Well, first of all, I, who knows where they'll go to college if they go to college? The whole idea of that terrifies me. But uh, you know, yeah. it'll be whether wherever they go. You know, if as long as they're healthy and happy. Well, you're doing <laughs> an outstanding job with them. You, as a parent. You're just as thoughtful and exceptional as you are with everything else you do in your life. And I really appreciate you taking time to talk with us. It was so much fun. Yeah. But next time I'm thinking not just Jan, Albert, Kelly, and Anderson, yeah. but maybe Stacy. <laughs> I, I believe Stacy needs her own hour. And then you'll come in as the fourth host. By the way, I would love to... First of all, what you should do is you should record... An hour with Albert for his perspective <laughs> and his version of events. And then... Then do a separate hour with Stacy and her version of events. That's actually... And then maybe at the end you join them together and just sort of... That's a great talk idea. Talk it out. <laughs> Why does Anderson have all week. the good ideas? That's next I mean, week. I mean, what in the world? <laughs> next week on a very special... And you know who... And, and Andy can co-host oh. it. He can help stir he'll, the pot. He'll co-host the reunion. Oh. That's a great idea. Yeah. It's calling Andy idea. Cohen right now. Yeah, <laughs> write that down, Jan. She's writing it down. Anderson, thank you very much. Thank you. Really I appreciate you. it. I love you, honey. <laughs> Bye. Guys. I mean. If Anderson doesn't have all the good ideas, I don't know. <laughs> we end. We began and ended with you and Stacy. But everything in between, my God, that man's an incredible. Can you imagine that being your father? I'd say they are the luckiest, luckiest. kids. The luckiest kids on earth. And I adore your friendship with him. It's amazing. I, I am the I am the fly that is constantly buzzing around him. He doesn't need, but he endures. He tolerates. And I feel very blessed. <laughs> All right. We've got a couple of Ask Kelly's. Okay. You ready? It's time for Ask Kelly. This is a good one because we just talked about Anderson's kids leaving to go to college and what that'll be like for him. What will it be like for me? Forget (laughs) him. What about me? Well, Holly D says, I too have been married for 20 plus years and I have three children who are grown. I find myself longing for the early years. I've struggled to find myself since the kids have moved out and I feel lost. I wonder who I am now. My question is, did this ever happen to you and how did you cope and do you have any advice? Yes, uh, it did happen. It happened to us in a very like ferocious way. We were not expecting it. And Holly, I found myself, um, I found myself trying to remember, like I was freakishly replaying their childhoods in my mind, trying to remember if I was present enough or if I could remember these moments enough. And it plagued me and it started making me very, very depressed. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I went through it. I was very lost. And then Mark and I decided, after we had a big fight one night, um, we decided to go to the beach. I don't know if you live near a beach, but um, and neither do we. We don't live near a beach, but we drove out to Long Island and we went to the beach. And we'd been to the beach with our kids a thousand times. And we saw our first ever sunset after like 25 years of having kids. We saw our first ever sunset at the beach. And it was kind of marvelous to us. And we were like, does the sun always set? We (laughs) didn't realize because we were so in the job of parenting and making sure they didn't drown or burn themselves with a bonfire or run off and get hit by a car in the parking lot or get kidnapped, what have you, like all the stuff, right? All the stuff that parents do that we didn't enjoy the simple things. So if I were you, I would retrace the steps of things you used to do with your kids and find the joy in that because there's a whole big world out there of stuff you missed because you were in it. And now like I remember I used to, Jan and I were talking about this, we we are runners, we would go for runs. But I was, I was always running with this mission of getting back home before the kids woke up and mm-hmm. wanted breakfast. So I never enjoyed a moment of 
running. Running was a mission. I had to get here and get back before they got up and wanted something to eat, right? And now I find myself jogging and like like going off on beaten paths that I would never be curious about or go down. I would never go down a, a, an off the running path path because I didn't have time for that. And now I find myself having like more time. So I would invest. I, I'm not saying like, oh, pick up a new habit, find a new this, find a new that, because that takes time to develop all of that. But you can easily relive things you did with your kids without them. And you it takes on like a new sort of simplicity and a new decadence because you're not speeding through it. You're not trying to get them in and out before they have a breakdown or in and out before they want dinner or in and out before their bedtime or what have you, whatever it is. Like you can take joy in these little things. It's funny because last night when I read this question before we were doing this today and last night like Glenn and I were going to bed and I, I found myself asking him all these questions about the kids and I was like, wow, this is our conversation 99% of the time. And so like I made a point to myself to not talk about them to like, because we have to, like the same way we talk about a marriage, like we have to have other things going on in our lives, like other, find other joy in other things. And that can't be the only thing we talk about because that's like, it's just not going to be healthy for us. It's not going to be healthy. You have to reimagine yourself. It's, you're always going to be their mother. I mean, forever and ever, but you're, relationship with them will in fact change. And I think it changes for the better, the less dependent they become on you. Um, And, you know, your success as a mother, your kids are supposed to go away. They're supposed to thrive and they're supposed to survive outside of the nest. And that means that you're an exceptional mom, Holly. And that means that you've done your job. But in the meantime, Pick up where you left off with them and go just revisit things that you used to do and you'll discover like a whole new, we did not know that we liked the beach. <laughs> we, for many years, hated the beach because it was so exhausted. We, ex- we associated it with being exhausted. You also posted a picture of a nice baguette in that beach. With, yes, we took a baguette cheese. and cheese. We would never take a baguette, I, I warm very- baguette. And cheese to the beach. I wanted it, that baguette. It, so <laughs> it always so turns good. to food. It was so good. It was so good. We ate the whole thing. Oh. We ate the whole cheese and the whole baguette. By the way, we watched other parents, Holly. We watched <laughs> these other parents, and they looked like they were suffering. They had kids in varieties of ages, and I was like, they had 18 more years of hell. <laughs> All right, Albert, you're up. All right, this is from your new Threads account. Oh, wow. Threads. From what is Threads again? Threads is the meta Twitter. Okay, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> but you're on it. I'm on it. Okay. Um, from Jamie Ostro, do you have any recurring dreams? If so, what are they about? You know, I don't have recurring dreams anymore, but I used to. I used to have this recurring dream. I've talked about it many, many times. This recurring dream, it was really bizarre that I was at a luau. I had never been to Hawaii. I I always say it's because I grew up a child of the 70s. So my whole, we didn't really travel much when I was a kid. And so we would travel by watching Fantasy Island and The Love Boat. So like we would either go, everything I knew about travel was Puerto Vallarta with the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders or... And, or Charo, or <laughs> Fantasy Island, which was, I believe, Hawaii. Yeah. And um, so these were my cultural reference points. So I would have this recurring dream that I was at a luau with men in leisure suits. Everybody was in a leisure suit because that's how, like, they dressed in Hawaii Five O. <laughs> and um, it's nighttime. There's tiki torches. This dog is barking, and I get up to go over to the dog And I notice that the wind is blowing and we're on the side of the cliff and I don't want the dog to fall off the side of the cliff. We're high up and this wind is blowing and it's blowing and I see something, but I'm not sure what it is. And I keep looking and I'm blinking into the nighttime. It's like loud blinking where you're blinking big. You're making your eyes as big as possible to see what it is. And all of a sudden I see from the tiki torch lights that it is a tidal wave and it is about to (gasps) crash over me and I wake up. 
And that was my reoccurring dream Oof. for years and years and years. All right, wow. we're going to get a dream specialist here yeah. on yeah. the podcast, and we're going to analyze that dream. Yeah, we should analyze <laughs> that dream. Okay, wow. more next time. Let's plug Anderson's projects now. Yes. yes. Okay. Just want to remind everyone to pick up a copy of Dispatches from the Edge, Vanderbilt, The Rise and Fall of an American Dynasty, and The Rainbow Comes and Goes, which is a book Anderson co-wrote with his mom, the late Gloria Vanderbilt. All three of them are riveting reads. He's a really brilliant, brilliant writer. His podcast is called All There Is. It's kind of the opposite of this podcast. He deals a lot uh, about grief and how to overcome grief and move past loss, which he has had, you know, for all of the gifts he's been given, he's had a lot taken away. So um, thank you so much for joining us this week. I hope you got... A lot out of Anderson Cooper. We we squeezed that lemon as hard as we could, didn't we, Jan? We did. We did. But I can keep going with it. <laughs> I, I wish we had like a 15-hour miniseries on just Anderson Cooper. Now, don't forget, uh, listeners at home, we're a new show and a sea of podcasts, so don't forget to tell your friends. Let's Talk Off Camera is available every week on the SXM app, and all major podcast listening platforms. Can't wait to talk off camera next week. Bye-bye. Let's Talk Off Camera with Kelly Ripa is a co-production of Melojo Productions and PRX Productions with help from Goat Rodeo. Our theme song is Follow Me from APM Music. From Melojo, our team is Kelly Ripa, Mark Consuelos, Albert Bianchini, Jan Chalet, Devin Schneider, Michael Halpern, Jacob Small, Roz Therian, Seth Gronquist, and Julia Desch. From PRX Productions, our team is Kara Schillen, Genevieve Sponsler, Megan Nidolsky, Edwin Ochoa. Additional sound design by Terrence Bernardo. The executive producer of PRX Productions is Jocelyn Gonzalez. This show is powered by Stitcher. Stitcher.